2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 8 and read through the end of the chapter. Hilkiah the high priest said to, uh, to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. Shaphan went to the king and reported, Your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and Ashiah the king's personal advisor, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me. And for the people and for all of Judah, inquire about the words written in this scroll that have been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you, This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this city and its people. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods. I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against this place, and it will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah, who sent you to seek the Lord, and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance, and I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and have been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this city. So they took her message back to the king. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for this morning. Thank you again for your word. Lord, thank you again for ears to hear and heads to understand and, and hearts to apply it to our lives. Lord, I ask you go with us through your word this morning and you would make very evident that which you would have for us to hear. Lord, give myself the strength to be able to preach this morning, to talk to your people, and Lord, to tell them what you have laid on my heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you may notice... I am here by myself this morning. I was up kind of late last night cleaning our couch. One of my children suddenly had a bit of a stomach bug, and we didn't know until it was very much too late. Uh, so they are home to make sure that that doesn't get spread around. Uh, <laughs> so you can continue praying for my family. Hopefully it's uh, just a one-off on one kid. That's my prayer today. But jumping into this, it's, it's very, it made me laugh a little bit coming in and seeing this big empty quarter 
that's been half filled in, there's still very much like a perfect little square in the front here that's not satted. Not telling anybody to move, promise. But it worked so well for the illustration I was going to use, I said, well, I guess, I guess the Lord has blessed my story. But when I was an intern, the, the pastor I interned under well, while I was living in Seattle, his name was Jeremy Ashworth, Pastor Jeremy Ashworth. And uh, I, was, I was placed with his church, and it was a church of the brethren, which is a, an off, offsprout of a Mennonite church. Um, and I got put there because my professor, who was doing all the inserting, was also Mennonite, and he was really trying to get a lot of us to like join the Mennonite denomination. Uh, so that's, that's why he put me there. But uh, the individual I got to work with, um, in his denomination, he is known as a church revitalizer, uh, which means he gets sent to all the churches that are just about to close their doors, and he's their last hope. Uh, and, and he does what he can to try and revitalize them. He's been to three different churches now in his career, and, and they're all thriving churches at the moment. Um, but the first one he went to, straight out of seminary, went to this church in Indiana, and when he got there, he preached the first Sunday, and he noticed that nobody sat in the first half of the church. They all sat in the very back. And so he said, well, I'm fine with that. I'll just pick up my podium and put it in the middle of the church so I can come to you. It's not a big deal. But then, see, he kept doing that every Sunday, and he also noticed on the pews, they all had plaques nailed on them all the way back. And he said, well, what in the world is all of this for? And on each one of those plaques was written a name. And so he asked, what, what are these plaques from? Did we get these pews from another church? What's, what are they? And the answer he got was, well, these are, are members of our church who have passed away. And that's where they used to sit. And so no one, sat, every time they passed, every time somebody died, no one sat in their seat. That church didn't have many visitors. <laughs> there wasn't room for them, and if they did, it was kind of weird to sit in the area. And so what he did was he said, well, guys, this is kind of absolutely ridiculous. We should probably, like, fill in just a little bit, maybe, maybe we take the names off the pews. And at that request, half the congregation left the church. As I cannot believe you would disgrace our people like that. Well, and his response was, oh, I don't hear them complaining. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. And it was very interesting because that church had a very bad leadership problem. There weren't any. Because all the dead people were still leading the church. That was the problem. But what he found out is when he took those names off the pews, new leaders popped up like crazy. And he said, oh, go figure. We got rid of the old leaders, the new ones popped in. And he said, so it, it didn't upset me to get rid of that because now people were starting to get involved in the church. They got rid of the distraction. They got rid of those in the way, and everybody else took the opportunity to step in. 
And we can laugh about this, and, and, uh, and the, the term he liked to use was, you've got to go in and sometimes slaughter the sacred cows. But the idea is when you're done, you can't just sit on rancid meat. You've got to have a barbecue with it. So what are you going to do after you get rid of the sacred cows? And it's very important for us to understand this because even in our personal lives, not just in a corporate setting like this in church, but within our personal lives, there are changes that need to be made. There are sacred cows that we like to hold on to. There are things that we say, well, that's just a part of who I am. That's, you know, that's, everybody kind of deals with it, and that's just what I do. And those things are the things that are keeping you from experiencing what God actually has for your life. It's keeping you from experiencing God's goodness and God's joy that actually comes with being a follower of Christ. And so we have to be able and willing to slaughter those cows and have a barbecue when you're done. And that's what King Josiah here was confronted with in 2 Kings chapter 22. I want to let you know a little bit about who King Josiah was. He's the grandson, I'm sorry, great-grandson of Hezekiah, who if everybody knows Hezekiah, right? That's a super, I'm not, I'm not expecting anybody to know these names. But Hezekiah was the king in Judah during the time of Isaiah. So he was the one who was listening to Isaiah talk all about the Christ to come. He was also the one who invited the envoys of Babylon in and showed them all the riches that they had. And Isaiah's response to that was, you big dummy. It's in there, trust me. Go ahead and read it, 2 Kings. King Josiah's grandfather was known as the worst king in all of Judah. His name was Manasseh. He was known for sacrificing children to pagan gods, building pagan altars and shrines, practicing sorcery and divination, consulting with mediums and psychics, and also murdering innocent civilians to force everybody to worship all the other pagan gods. His son wasn't any better, but his son was considered worse. And those two reigns, Manasseh and his son, lasted almost 60 years. For 60 years, those two individuals did everything they could to completely change the culture of Judah. Up to that point, Hezekiah had gotten rid of all the shrines that had been built by, by those before him, all the pagan shrines. He had done his best to be a, a, a good king, one who followed God's laws. But when he invited in the envoys of Babylon to show off how rich he was, God said, you made a mistake. You made a mistake there, bud. And Isaiah told him so. Isaiah told him, that's going to come back to bite us. And your grandchildren are going to bear the brunt of that sin. Hezekiah's response would be a lot like ours. Oh, not to me then. Okay, great. As long as it only happens to my grandkids and not me. What a great guy, right? So that's what Josiah had come from. And so for Josiah to hear 
God's word and have this change of heart should not be overlooked. Because it was 60 years, it was two generations, it was grandpa and dad who showed him how to be one way. And now he has to make a decision to be something completely different. To be something completely good instead of completely evil. To see what his family has done and said, my family was wrong. That's not easy to do. Not even for us who are not kings. Couple that with the fact that Josiah took over when he was eight years old. Do you know any eight-year-olds who are willing to throw their parents and grandparents on the fire like this? I was just talking to my kids yesterday about it, and I was telling them about King Josiah, and I said, guys, one year from now, do you think you could run a, a country? <laughs> well, of course not, no. Though I think Mia would give it a, a go. <laughs> she would try. Mason, he's like, I'm not talking to that many people. It's just not happening. He took over when he was eight years old. And the first thing he did is he said, hey, go to the temple. He told his advisor, go to the temple. Uh, there's guys who are working on, on rebuilding it and, and renovating it. He said, we've been charging people tax to be able to come into the city and to go to the temple. So take all that money and give it to the people doing the work. So immediately he already has a generous heart. He's already looking after the people under his care immediately. And what ends up happening is those guys who are doing all the renovations, they find a scroll that has the whole Torah in it. Torah being the first five books of the Bible. We call them Moses' books, right? And they say, hey, we found something really cool in the rubble over there. We found it in this storeroom. I don't think anybody's read it in a long time. Would you want to read it? Well, yeah, sure. And as he's having this scroll read to him, he realizes how far away that they have come from God's word. So folks, we're going to be talking about sin today. We're going to be talking about encultured sin. Stuff that we have just kind of gotten comfortable with because, well, it's the way it is. Well, you know, that's just how I am. It's just what I do. It's not all that bad. Don't worry about it. I want us to understand one thing, though. Because usually when we talk about sin, hopefully the thought is uh, inward and thinking, okay, where can, I, where can I apply this to my life? Where can I find uh, work to be done in my own life? And sometimes our eyes wander just a little bit and we say, yeah, but I bet they need a little bit of something else. I bet you they need just a, a touch more work. I want, I want you guys, when you have a moment, to remember the end of Romans chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. You can go read it for yourself, but I'll tell you essentially what Paul says. He goes into great detail on what the horrible people in this world are doing. And he has a big long list of just repulsive sins. And parents, you'll appreciate that right in the middle he puts not listening to your parents. It's in the whole list that it's right up there with murder. So you'll appreciate that he says that. And you go, yeah, oh, those horrible, terrible people who do all these horrible, terrible things. 
And then in chapter 2, at the very beginning, he says, but don't judge them because you're worse. God. He says, because you ought to know better. And you do the same. So as we are talking about this, I want you to remember Paul's words. I want you to focus on yourself today. I don't want you going to the person next to you or to somebody in your household and saying, so what did you learn? That's not going to help. I want you to focus on yourself today. I'm giving you this one-time pass to be selfish because it's important for your own walk. So what is sin? Sin is that which goes against God's command. It's a very easy, easy definition. If it goes against what God says to do, it's sin. If it goes against God's way of being, it's sin. Very simple. So the way you're going to know about it, by the way, is that means you're going to have to read the Bible. <laughs> this is the only way you're going to know. And we are told also by Paul in Romans that the penalty for sin is, everybody, death. Death. Separation from God. So we know what it does on that kind of cosmic level. What does sin do on a personal level, on a human level? Because when you, when you really start thinking about the, all the, those big lists that Paul loves to do of all these different sins, what you start to realize is sin is also very relational. If you didn't have anybody, if you were the last human on earth, it'd be really tough to sin because there'd really be no covet their stuff, be nobody else to be angry at. It'd be really hard to sin about it. I'm sure we'd find a way. That's how we are. But very relational action. It affects the way that we... And that effect is often things like the breaking of trust, the breaking, the breaking of goodness. See, and, and sin also, or sin, it's, it ends up being these very vicious cycles and circles. The second you hear somebody go, oh man, that's so cool that you have that, you think... Oh. It'd be really cool if I had more, and then other people would think I'm cool. Deception drives bitterness and anger. If you've ever been lied to, ever been a business partner with somebody and they cheated you, if you've ever played a board game with somebody and you don't want to play with that person anymore and you don't want to work with that person anymore and I don't want to hear your excuses anymore and that's it, I'm not talking to you anymore and now our families are broken. Promiscuity drives lust. We hear that all the time. And by the way, lust will drive promiscuity. Our personal sin will affect those us and our ability to foster quality in the same way you can go all the way back to Genesis and watch what Adam and Eve do. The they hide from an all-knowing, all-seeing God. They weren't the brightest of folk. They hide. They break relationship with the one and only. This is the realization that we have to come to 
amongst those around us. The reading of God's word, and he immediately goes into mourning, tears his clothes, he falls on his knees, he begs for forgiveness. He says, what do we need to do? And so he sends his guys out back to the temple. Go talk to the people at the temple. Find out what we have to do. I love the fact that they... It's the only time we've ever heard from her. And she's one of the very... Go figure that, you know, she's the wife of the guy who works with the wardrobe. You can imagine that doesn't... <laughs> telling him how to dress. I don't know. I don't know if that happened. That's a... But a Holda, and Holda tells him, yeah, you're in trouble. But hey, great job on that repentance. I really honor that. You're going to die in peace. Don't worry. You won't be the one to bear the brunt of his response because isn't that just 1 John 1 9 for you? If we confess our say, folks, he was doing that all the way back in 2 Kings. He hasn't changed. Amen? Of repentance. We've messed up. This thing is ingrained in us. It ingrained in our culture. We have been forced to be this way, and some of us might be okay with it. And I'm saying, no more. No more. We need to be able to do the same. To look into our own lives, to look into our own relationships, and see what is killing them. Because that's the sin. What are we hiding? Go and read the rest of 1 John. He'll tell you all about what it, what it means to be hiding anything. Bring it all out into the light. You bring it into the light so it can be forgiven. Not, not, not to be shamed by, but forgiven. Look into your life. Where's your greed? Where's your jealousy? Where's your bitterness? Recognize it. I have to do the same every single day. Every single day. This last week, I had to sit my son Mason down projects. They had their, their 100 day uh, of school, and so they, they do art projects. It's very cute. We took pictures. Mia held a Brand Flakes box, which was hysterical. Got it. It's okay. But in, in their art project, they both doing projects early. But they went and they, they started their project early, and Mia did hers, loves it. And she's also pretty good at spelling. So she did her whole thing, and we went, honey, that's great. They had like nine out of ten words spelled wrong, but they were all fin. Because I saw it, and I went, ha, 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 you spelled. And in my heart, I thought, well, that's, you know, affected him. In a bad way. <laughs> Suddenly I went, oh, it's probably work. I told him you weren't good enough. Moment. So I had to sit him down and say, buddy, you did everything you knew how to do and you did it to the best of your ability and it was perfect. And it was beautiful. Guys, do you see what repentance can suddenly do? You see how that relationship be fixed. 
as when we repent of heaven on an earthly form. It is that is healed. Healing comes through repentance and forgiveness. So we need to be like Josiah. We need to see the evil in our life. We need to see the mistakes in our life. And we need to say, that was a problem. That was a mistake. I need, I need forgiveness for this and I need help to make it right. And as I said before, the, the beautiful response is God does forgive. And it is an amazing, amazing feeling to be empowered in such a way that God says, because I want your relationship. So now that there's our response to our own sin and God's response to our own sin that we have to do, it's a response to the response of the response. What is our response to God's response? Sit on the meat, you got to have a barbecue. That's exactly what Josiah did, by the way. He went and burned those altars that shouldn't have been in God's land. He knocked it down and burned it to the ground. Josiah is digging up the old priests who allowed this kind of thing to happen, and he burned those bones too. He said, we're not having anything to do with this anymore. It is not a part of our history. We are completely changing this culture back to what it's supposed to be. And there's a great discussion on prophecy there, too, because if you go back to Hezekiah's life, Isaiah prophet, who's going to do this, by the way. Moves past it. He fixes the problem. Enough to say, if we're going back to this, you're going to have So what do we do? We recognize our sin, we repent of it, and we get rid of it. We recognize it by reading God's word to tell us what is good. And when you've gone past that, you say, you know what, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not sold. It's relational. Sin destroys bridges. If it's making... And then we repent of it. We repent to God and to those around you. Said in 1 John again, it's all about bring the dark things to light. We're going to see what's going on. We're going to know what's going on so that they can be forgiven. That's what makes us different. That's what makes the Christ follower different. We put things into the light for forgiveness. And when things are brought to the light, we forgive. This lifts that weight off you like nothing else. Guys, I, my wife is forever talking about she doesn't want the kids to grow up. I am so excited for them to grow up. Not to get them out of the house or anything like that, but I am so excited to see where our relationship goes. And without moments like we had this last week, I can guarantee those relationships wouldn't be worth anything. My kids know that I mess up and they know that I love them enough to repent to them. 
And when they mess up, they know that they can come to me and talk to me about it. Because they've seen how I do it. And I am not perfect in any way. That's why I have to ask for repentance or for forgiveness. That's why I have to. The last thing we do is we get rid of it. We have that barbecue. We destroy with great prejudice. I had a a professor in grad school who was a a psychologist. And as my dad says, I didn't know one who didn't need one. He would tell you the same thing. The interesting thing about his story is he was a drug addict before he was a college grad or a high school graduate. His best friend led him to Christ. And he met his best friend because he was fighting him. You can imagine this this high school student sitting in a classroom and this other individual tapping him on a shoulder to ask for a pencil, by the way. But the human contact caused him to snap. And he grabbed this guy by the arm and flipped him over the chair onto the ground. That's how he met his best friend. He said, and immediately what cut through was this friend started laughing when he hit the ground. He said, man, I'm just asking for a pencil. Are you all right? Just like that. The best friend he's ever had. They've written books together. So this individual understands what sin looks like and understands what it does to your relationships, and he also understands in great detail addiction. Guys, and I can tell you almost every single sin you've ever thought of is an addiction. There's an addiction to death in our culture. We are forever looking for the next thrill. It's an addiction to death. People say, oh, I can't live without this. You're trying to die. And what he would tell you about addiction is those who are going through it, it isn't just that they're They're there for that one thrill. They have a process for it, too, most of the time. So they like to sit in a particular chair. They like to do this in a particular room, at a particular house, with a particular set of people, maybe even with a particular song playing in the background. They like to set it all up so it's the same experience every time. Nothing new. And so while, while you are going through this process, each and every one of us, throughout today, throughout the rest of this week, as we start to think of, oh, I can, I can kind of see where that was a problem. And then we ask for repentance. The way that you end up getting rid of all this is you need to go and look at what drives you into this. What are your foundations? What are your areas that force you into this idea or, or that, that make you look in that certain way or that make you feel this certain way. Maybe you're listening to political talk radio and by the end of it you're just so fed up and you're so angry at everything you've heard and you're so fed up with this society and you get home and you snap on somebody. Well, that, 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 that wasn't meant for you. I'm sorry. Maybe take a break from the radio. 
Maybe you're, you're watching football. I might be. And by the end of it, you're so mad at your team and so fed up, and I just, ah, uh, blah. And it ruins your whole week. You can't get any work done because you're fixated on something that doesn't even matter. Take a break. Take a break. Or maybe you're walking through your kitchen, you're going, man, I'm just, I'm just bored. I wonder what's in that cabinet. Oh, I'll eat that. And 15 minutes later, you come back and go, oh, God, I'm still bored. I wonder what's in, in that fridge there. Oh, yum. And by the end of it, you've eaten half your house. <laughs> and then suddenly you don't really feel all that up to reading scripture because now I'm just so tired and sluggish. There's stuff we got to work on. Stuff that seems so innocent. That can be the foundation for something that is so destructive. If we want to make a change in our life, if we want to experience that earthly experience of heaven, if we want that relational healing, if we want that spiritual healing, if we want that growth in our life, if we want that growth in our relationship, we got to make changes. We've got to recognize the problem. We have to repent of the sin, and we've got to get rid of it. You've got to take action. It's an amazing thing to take that first step of repentance. It is an absolute beautiful experience to, to experience the grace of God, knowing that you have been forgiven. But if you don't do anything with it, Butcher the sacred cows. Burn the idols and move on. The goodness that we will experience will drive the, your stability in your new way. It's what everybody talks about, uh, those who need to do it, myself included, uh, the, the diet and exercise route of getting healthy. And it stinks. It's not fun. I like Oreos. I like a lot of them. I'm like putting them in peanut butter sandwiches, right? It's a problem. <laughs> I don't like vegetables. There isn't one made that's ever meant to be good. You have to add so much cheese to those things to make them edible. I don't understand it. I love when the doctor tells you, oh, and fruit's easy to get, it's just like candy. You're eating the wrong candy. It's hard to make a change in life. It's really hard. I go for a run and I hurt for three weeks. It's hard to make a change. But when you start that process and all of a sudden you start to feel a little bit better, you start to wake up and go, you know what? I might actually do some housework today. I'm feeling pretty good. Remind yourself that that's from the work you've just put in. That is from the grace of God giving you and saying, hey, fantastic, let's build you up. God will hold you there. 
And then the next worry is, well, I'm just going to end up eating those Oreos anyway. And God will be there to forgive you again. He'll pick you up when you fall, and he'll hold you there. So recognize, where are your sacred cows? Where are they in your life? Kill them. And let's have a barbecue. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us. Lord, thank you for our being able to have this amazing relationship with you. The God of the universe who cares enough for a nobody like me. That he would send his son to die. So that we can have a personal relationship. Lord, I ask that you would speak into each and every one of our hearts this morning. Guide our minds to show us where we are broken. Show us how we can make changes in our life to grow closer to you. Lord, to help bring healing into our families. To bring healing into our own lives, our friendships. Lord, show us how to change. Give us the strength we need. And we will praise and glorify you for every step we take. Because it is by your grace and your strength alone that we take them. Lord, go with us this day. Bless the rest of the time we have here. Bless our fellowship and our conversations. Lord, I ask that they would be edifying. That they would be healing in themselves. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You please stand for the benediction. May we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory and honor to him both now and forever. Amen.